0: Welcome to Season 5 of Ye Old Dragon's Library, the storytelling podcast. Each episode this season will be a chapter from the second book in the Enchanted Castle Archives, The Beastly Beauty. In Season 1, our heroine, Ash, was warned multiple times to stay away from the Enchanted Castle, and if she ever saw it coming toward her, to run. Now she finds the enchanted castle, or, perhaps more accurately, it finds her. Will prophecy come true? Can she escape when she finds out the truth of Cecil's warning that every castle wants a princess? Listen and find out. Chapter 6 Ash shivered, looking up and all around, feeling as if the rock faces stared down at her, disapproving, poised to pounce. She needed to move. She considered for a moment. The ring was large enough to be uncomfortable, sliding around inside her glove, getting in the way when she grasped the reins. She unfastened her courier pin and slid the ring onto the bar, then refastened it to her cloak. Now it was safe, she hoped. Part of her wanted to fling the ring away, a taunting reminder of the friend she had lost. But what if she hadn't truly lost him? What if he was there, but perhaps through the peak of Justice R. Camwell or the attacks from those ancient magical artifacts, he had been silenced? How could she get him back? Go to Cecil for answers, hidden in one of his many books? Go to Justice R. Camwell and... and do what? Threaten him until he restored the spirit of the ring? she needed answers. Sitting here and dithering wouldn't do her any good. She slid her glove back on her hand, clucked to the horse, and tugged on the reins. In moments the horse headed down the road, through the maze of ravines, and out to the highway again. Ash gnawed on her problem, on the options to find answers, the possibilities of forcing Camwell to give the ring's spirit back to her. What if he hadn't taken or silenced the spirit, what rights did she have to make such a demand? The moment she crossed the border into Alfordia, if Lord Diggory hadn't received Philby's request to release Ash to join the couriers, she would be a servant bound to Castle Fairhold. Then there was the threat from Lathia and her prince and the Purple Sky magicians. First, she had to warn Castle Fairhold of Lathia's intentions, then find Justice Camwell and warn him. Would he listen now, without the ring to support her story? What would she do once she warned Fairhold? Return to Cecil, or try to find the Enchanter's Council, or seek magical libraries, on the thin chance an ancient book of magic would restore the ring to her? Far too many questions and avenues that could lead to disaster. If Ash's ring had gone silent and was too large to wear. Logic said the same had happened to the ring Lathia wore, because the quest had ended. Knowing Lathia, Ash had no hope she would call off the hunt and give up her quest for revenge. The sound of approaching hooves broke into her thoughts. Ash mentally slapped herself for being distracted, yet again. She looked around. No options for escape, other than turning and running. The sides of the ravine leading back to the highway were too steep for her horse to climb. "'Turning and running would just warn the oncoming riders "'that she had something to fear "'and something to protect, worth stealing. "'Fang, are you ready?' Two thumps against the basket and her back.' "'She smiled and felt for the knives tucked into the saddle, "'the knife at her waist, "'the knives tucked into the high tops of her riding boots. "'How many riders were there?' "'The best option was to depend on Garen's speed and agility "'to get her out of their reach.' "'Athiosius, please guide me. Guard me. Save me from blood,' she whispered. Thirty paces, and the riders were close enough to see details. Four men, all dressed in leathers and chain-mail, with crossbows strapped to the sides of their saddles in easy reach, and swords at their waists. They were coated with dust. Their horses were the big, sturdy kind, better suited to long journeys rather than racing into battle.' Were they heavily armed to defend themselves as they traveled through many lands? If so, what were they seeking? Or did they flee some stronger power and authority? A dark blotch dropped from the sky, resolving into a hawk that glided along after the man in the lead. When the travelers drew closer, Ash saw the harness on the hawk's leg. It either hunted for the man it followed or it carried messages. Callan hadn't detected the hunters, But he had admitted that didn't mean they had gone away. They could have simply stopped all use of magic, going silent and undetected. Without the ring's guidance and his senses, she had no way of knowing if they were using magic right this moment and targeting her. Without the ring, maybe they couldn't sense her? They had no proof she was different from any other courier? Ten paces away, the leader raised his hand and called to her to stop. Ash complied because she had no other options. There was no room to slide past them to flee. Her only options were to fight, lead them back to the cavern and hide there until they went away, or comply and hope they weren't hunting for her. Had she changed enough that she didn't match the scrawny servant girl pretending to be a boy Lathia would have described to them? Show us your hands, the leader called, once he moved his horse forward so there were only four paces between the horse's noses. Ash hesitated, wagering that an innocent person would do so. She slowly raised her gloved hands. The man on the right of the leader swung down out of his saddle and stomped up to her. Gloves off, he snapped. Sir, why? He raised a hand as if to strike her. His leader called something in a foreign language. Just a few words. It stopped him. The man, now standing by her stirrup on her right side, bared his teeth in a fierce, challenging smile. He produced a long, thin blade from nowhere. Ash caught her breath and braced for him to flick that knife at her face or her throat. She held up her hands to show she was complying. The leader chuckled. It sounded friendly, but the fierce light in his eyes gave it an entirely different feel. Ash pulled off both gloves and tucked them into her belt. She held out her hands, palms facing them. Too late. She wondered if wearing the ring all this time had left a dent in her finger, or worse, a lighter patch of skin. She didn't dare risk a single glance at her finger. That would give away far too much. At the very least, it would reveal she knew what they were looking for. The man caught hold of one hand, turning it over several times. Then he caught hold of the other, also examining it. Ash tried not to resist— but an itchy sort of hum spilled through her at the touch of his gloved hands. She feared the sensation would be far worse if his skin was bare as well. Was she sensing magic, or something else working in and through him? He called out a string of words in that foreign language. The anger in his voice turned the sound harsh. Ash braced for him to turn and strike, slash her with a knife, maybe reach up and pull her from the saddle. She hoped Fang was awake although she hated asking him to go into the bright sunlight spilling down straight into this ravine. How much blood could he coat himself with to stab off the smoking in his fur? Then the man stomped away from her, back to his horse. The hawk swooped down and landed on the leader's shoulder. Finally, the leader spoke, again in that foreign language. The four men turned as one, like in a dance, and headed down the road the way they had come, without another word to her. She smiled, shaky, suddenly dripping with sweat. Holding out her bare hands, she wasn't surprised to see them shake. Just a little. So, the ring was right, and they couldn't sense her without it. Was that the final proof that the spirit was no longer in the ring? What were her chances of restoring him? Yes, Fang was a handy surprise weapon to have on hand, But she needed the ring's guidance and memory and his sense for magic if she was going to get any answers for herself. That's what we'll do, she said, speaking more to herself than to Fang. She turned as far as she could and reached under the loose top of the basket to pat him. We need the ring back. Tomorrow we'll be out of Machpelon and in Alfordia, two days to reach Castle Fairhold. Hopefully by then— I'll have some idea how to persuade the Justiciar to restore the ring. Fang made a doubtful purr, ending on a high, inquisitive note. What do I do if he can't restore the ring? If what just happened here was caused by magic out of his control? Ash shook her head. We go to Cecil. If Cecil can't find me an answer. She shuddered and thought of the enchanted castle again. To get the ring back, would she risk getting caught in the castle or the forest? Yes, she thought she just might. Ash took a deep breath, whispered a short prayer for help, and clucked at Garin to get moving. They had a long road ahead of them. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. Looking for some space opera on the light side? Maybe something reminiscent of a certain groundbreaking TV show? You might enjoy the adventures of the AFV Defender, a starship with a growing reputation for misfit luck, and adventures that puts her crew on the forefront of solving mysteries and problems in the Alliance. Book 1. Friendly Fire, in which the Defender is infested with miniature dragons. Book 2. Here there were dragons, in which the Defender is sent on a diplomatic mission to a planet with dragons in their history. Book 3. Etruska's Vow. Lieutenant Makar is sent home to Nisandros to face possible execution, or worse, diplomatic marriage. Book 4. Inquest. Only one ship in the Alliance fleet has a reputation stranger than the Defender, and that's the Inquest with her crew of rule-breakers and miracle-workers. When the two ships are assigned to work together, the biggest question is which one will survive the mission. The AFV Defender Series, Space Opera, from Ye old Dragon Books. And now, back to the story. Ash's head ached from the storm of thoughts, speculations, and trying to interpret every odd sound, every inquisitive look as she passed various groups of travelers by the end of that first day without the ring's guidance. She could almost have laughed at the sense of being alone inside her own head, and the ringing silence just beyond the nattering of her own thoughts. She scolded herself multiple times through the day for having grown so dependent on the ring to warn her when trouble approached, so she didn't trust her own instincts, What had happened to her alertness and instincts to determine if someone were friend or foe, and what to say or do? That sensitivity had helped her avoid trouble and stay somewhat invisible in the busy world of Castle Fairhold. "'Face the ugly truth, Ash,' she whispered, as she approached the station-house through growing darkness. "'You've grown lazy.' She pressed her hand against the pin with the ring hidden behind it. "'Ring? If you can still hear me,' If this is just a nasty reprisal spell from the Justiciar keeping me from hearing you, I hope you have some advice waiting when we can talk again, to help me avoid this problem in the future. Of course, I hope we can cure this, and I never need to go without your help again. A shaky chuckle escaped her. I certainly miss all your lessons as we ride along. She flinched when the star on her breastbone hummed softly. Followed a few seconds later by the one on her buttocks, magic was at work, likely the defensive spells of the station house. She smiled at the irony that what her parents' enemies intended for evil, either to keep her from realizing her magic potential, or help them to track and trap her, had turned out to be somewhat useful for her. Ash reminded herself not to grow dependent on the stars. She wanted and needed to get rid of them as soon as possible. She made a note in her mind to talk with Hazel when she returned to Castle Fairhold. Now was the time to learn everything the Hedge Witch hadn't been able to teach her before she and Fang had fled. "'Oh, Fang!' She nearly yanked on Garin's reins to stop him, just a few steps away from the gate of the fence around the station-house. "'Are you going to be in trouble once we're back within Fairhold Downs?' A few chirps came from her passenger who had fortunately slept most of the day without any restless shifting. Ash had no idea how to interpret those sounds. She was getting better at interpreting Fang's ear movements, another place where she had been somewhat lazy, depending on the ring to speak for Fang, to hear his thoughts when she couldn't see him. We'll figure it out. Maybe I should leave you somewhere half a day's ride from Fairhold? A hard thump of the basket against her back was a clear enough negative answer. She grinned at Fang's refusal to be separated from her. Then the horse stepped through the gate. The star on her buttocks flared like a stab from a very large needle. She needed to get rid of the stars. You're just in time, a woman called as the door of the station house creaked open. I'm about to take the bread out of the oven. Hurry and settle your horse. I hope you have some good stories to tell. She leaned out a tangle of bright red curls framing her cheerful, sharp-boned face, and gestured at the stables attached to the building on the left side. It's been deathly quiet around here the last month or so. Quiet sounds wonderful, Ash responded, and slid out of her saddle. She watched from the corner of her eye as she led Garen around to the side entrance of the small stable of five stalls. The woman shut the door. Before she reached for the loop of leather holding the lid of the basket, Fang popped up and out. He turned three somersaults before he hit the ground. Have fun. Don't get into trouble, she called, as he leaped out into the thickening shadows. Fang made a rude sound. Somewhere between an explosion of gas and clicks waggled his ears at her and vanished. The station master was Letitia, and the aromas of cooking that reached out to Ash when she opened the door were just as welcoming as the woman's smile. Letitia handed her a short rod of green crystal and pointed at a blank spot on the wall opposite the massive hearth. That's the key to your room. Before Ash could ask, a dimensional doorway opened up, just like that at Philby's home. The stars didn't react. Ash made a note of that in her journal as soon as she could get her satchel open to discuss later with Philby. There was so much that was tangled and knotted in the magic woven around her, making it difficult to predict or even understand how the different spells worked with and against each other. She hurried to wash, because, as Letitia had said, the bread was fresh from the oven. Ash slid the rod into her belt pouch and stepped out into the main room, which took up most of the station house. She reflected that the dimensional pocket magic allowed the station house to look small to outsiders while housing many people. She supposed that was necessary in a kingdom that could turn unfriendly toward all outsiders without warning. When she asked about the stables and hiding large numbers of horses, Letitia confirmed dimensional magic worked there also. The station master was a good hostess, doing most of the talking at the beginning of the meal, to allow Ash to eat while the food was hot. Then, once the berry tarts came out of the oven and she drenched them with cream and poured mugs of hot honey and lemon tea, it was Ash's turn to talk. She reported what she had seen and heard, the types of people she had passed on the road, the conditions of the villages she had ridden through or passed. The road agents had left her alone, mostly nodding and waving her to keep going when she got close enough for them to see her courier pin. Philby warned me when I asked to retire here I would face months of boredom, speckled with weeks of tension and frustration with hidebound bureaucrats. Letitia chuckled and tugged down the collar of her dress to reveal a necklace of a soft, pastel rainbow of crystal beads. Several glowed. "'I keep watch on the surrounding crossroads. Have the mates to these lovelies embedded in trees or mile-markers.' That's how I knew you were close enough for me to put the bread in and make sure it was fresh. She winked, then stroked a larger, oval crystal. This one lets me speak with Philby every once in a while. We're cousins on our maternal grandmother's side. One corner of her mouth twitched, mischief sparkling in her eyes, as she tugged up her mane of curly red hair to reveal a delicately pointed ear. I always considered Philby's side of the family the lucky ones. Fewer obligations to the Fay court. "'Retirement in the human realms is much more enjoyable. "'Do you have any messages to pass on to her when we talk?' "'Ash thought for several moments, "'while she let the berry tart melt in her mouth. "'Her instincts didn't clang and buzz, "'warning her to be cautious. "'She considered that Letitia wouldn't have revealed "'her Fay blood except to prove herself. "'Unless they were representatives of the Fay court "'to the local government, Fay usually kept their identities hidden.' "'because of the general cold feelings toward their race, "'lingering generations after the outbreak "'and several other magical incursions from other dimensions. "'Did she mention my birthmarks?' she finally said. "'That's a lovely little frustrating puzzle indeed.' "'The station master cradled her mug in both hands as she sipped, "'eyes sparkling. "'Have they done anything odd since you left Philby? "'What do you think they are?' "'One more test.' The woman's answers were vague enough they could be covering a lack of knowledge. Besides not being birthmarks at all? Letitia put the mug down with a soft thump for punctuation. You were marked, and quite unfairly. She tapped her breastbone, then shifted to one side, as if she sat on something uncomfortable. Ash grinned, and the woman chuckled. That was clear enough proof she knew, and delicately didn't mention the locations. "'You're wise to be cautious, girl. "'I agree with Philby. "'Those are tags, a beacon to lead your enemies to you "'when the time is right for them and wrong for you. "'The sooner you can free yourself of that trouble, the better.' The humor faded slowly from her eyes, and she turned the mug around between her hands several times before looking up again. "'Philby chose your route so we could meet.' I had a good friend who died in the battle to stop that cursed wave that made Tippicy a coastal town. Ash fumbled the mug, then clutched it in both hands and swallowed hard, her mouth suddenly dry. She flinched when Letitia reached across the table and put two fingers under the mug to raise it, and resisted a moment before taking a sip. That helped, but only a little. Do you know? Do I look like... No, you probably didn't know my parents, she finally said, when she untangled the incoherent questions swirling through her head. No, I'm sorry. I never met anyone in the troop who went to fight the Dalwanga. That's the name of the greedy, arrogant brutes who conjured up that wave. And their leader. They believe, most wrongly, that because they come from long lines of enchanters, that gives them the authority to reshape the world to suit them. They used to claim they were favored of Athiosius, until they grew so twisted in their minds and souls they declared themselves wiser than the Maker, and proclaimed they would free all the worlds and dimensions of his rule. Letitia sighed and looked into her mug again. She frowned, as if surprised to find it empty, and got up to fetch the iron pot where more tea steeped. My friend told me about everyone in the troop, where they came from, some of their training, Their loves, she said, once she had refilled their mugs and settled at the table again. She sighed. Their families. Nine children among them, all under the age of six years. Five girls, between the ages of two and four. Yes, Philby asked me to dredge up everything I could remember. I put it in a little book somewhere. She glanced around, frowning slightly. I'll find it before you leave. I hope it helps you. Plenty of room to write down what you find as you search. You do plan to search, don't you? But don't go back to Tippacy until you're free of those wretched stars. Hear me? Yes. Ash made a face. I've been warned enough times. I'd be an utter fool to cast aside all that good advice. Letitia chuckled. Philby said you were smart. Now, what have those nasty tricks been doing to you lately? What sort of magic do they react to? and not react to. That could be more revealing in finding a way to unweave them. Before Ash went to bed, she and Letitia talked through everything she could remember of the stars, when they first started to appear, how they had reacted to spells in use and proximity to magical objects. "'It's a sad, cruel trick that pompous fool of a justiciar played on you,' Letitia said. They had talked themselves dry.' Ash had showed her the journal where she had been writing down everything she could remember about the stars and any encounters with seers and visionaries through her short life. Taking your friend away from you when you need him most, she snorted and reached to gather up their empty mugs. Of course, he had no obligation to show you any mercy or kindness, and he likely didn't intend for you to make friends with your overseer. Still, to lose him just when his wisdom could have helped us. Why, what's wrong, girl? She put down one mug and reached to put two fingers under Ash's chin and tip her head up, to look in her face. I didn't exactly lose the ring, Ash whispered, when she couldn't be sure a sudden, aching surge of sorrow that squeezed her throat wouldn't emerge as an undignified sob. He's silent, and he came off my finger. I was hoping it was just me, that I wasn't allowed to hear him anymore, but maybe he could... She held up a finger, gesturing for Letitia to wait, and hurried to her room where she had hung up her jacket to air. She brought it out, freeing the courier pin from her jacket, to let the ring slide off the bar. Bracing for some negative reaction, she held the ring out to Letitia. Huh, that's interesting. The station master took the ring between two fingers and held it out at arm's length, studying it with narrowed eyes. At first glance, it's nothing more than a nice little bauble, He's completely gone? Ash's voice cracked. This was worse than she had feared. She wished she hadn't even asked. We hope you enjoyed today's chapter. For more information on all the books and series featured in this podcast, or to purchase the ebook or audiobook for future reading and listening pleasure, please visit yeoldragonbooks.com. You can also find more information about our books and purchase ebooks on our Patreon page, Ye Old Dragons Library. Please consider supporting the podcast to gain access to free stories or discounts, or a chance to purchase a new book in advance of release. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.